Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Sarah Nirad who is the program manager for Ohio State University Collegiate Recovery Community in Columbus, Ohio. And she's also the director of recovery for the Higher Education Center for Alcohol and Drug Drug Misuse uh, Prevention in Recovery. And Sarah is also in recovery herself. So Sarah, welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your struggle and how it shaped your professional life. Absolutely. So you know, growing up in a you know suburb of Houston, Texas, you know, I had friends, I was real involved, I did well academically. I never would have thought that, you know, at 15 years old, you know, my life would take a dramatic turn. Yeah. What um, suburb? Can I ask? I'm what, sorry? What suburb? Kingwood. Okay. Kingwood, Texas. My sister lives down Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't think any of us in, you know, our little bubble of a community thought that you know, we could be susceptible to addiction or that this would be something that we wouldn't be able to control or this would be something that um, might become way more than we ever thought that it would be. Um, So I found myself at 17 years old entering my second adolescent treatment center. Wow. When did you start using? 15. At 15. Gosh. And what were you using? Everything. What's everything? I mean, alcohol, marijuana, pills, cocaine. I mean, Everything. Okay. So Uh, take it from there. You know, 17 years old, starting my junior year of high school, and they told me to change my people, places, and things. And when you're in high school, when you don't have your own car, when you don't really have a job, that's really hard to do. I have to go to the same school. I have to go back to the same house. And um, I I felt very limited and trapped um, to an extent. Um, But I'm really grateful that my community – uh, which is different than a lot of communities. We had recovery high schools. We had collegiate recovery programs. We had alternative peer groups. We had a really strong young people's 12-step community. Really? Yeah. And uh, set us with the year. What year was this? 2007. 2007. And they had all of that. All of it. They, and they've had it since the 70s. So there was this whole youth recovery community, this really strong continuum of care. So the adolescents and young adults in Houston, Texas could go from 
treatment to aftercare to these really fun after school programs to a special high school to a college program that I never stopped receiving services. Um, and that is what made it successful for me and made it so much easier to accept this new way of life because I had friends to hang out with. I had fun activities to go into. I had things to look forward to. So leaving behind, though, those old friends, that had to still be difficult. Oh, it? absolutely. I mean, in yeah. it, I went, you know, to a certain extent, you know, uh, holding on. There's like claw marks still on like some of these friends and the places we'd go to. Like I remember riding my bike to the lake. That's where we would always go and drink and smoke, just like hoping and praying that I'd run into my old friends. They were never there. It was almost as if while I was away in rehab, they found wholly new party places oh. and they were never there. But I think that was, you know, God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Yeah. I tried so hard to bump into these old friends hmm. um, and they were just never there. Wow. So since that time, you've taken really what you've learned about that continuum of care mm -hmm. and you're doing great things here at the Ohio State campus with that. Tell us about that. Absolutely. As I met other young people in recovery across the country and, and got to travel a little bit, I've learned that that experience I had in Houston and that continuum of care that they have there is really unique. And that is not something that is available to every young person and to every family. And I felt that it was put on my heart to create those same experiences, create those same programs, those same opportunities that I had for others. Wow. And so can you describe that? What you've created then? Can you describe that? Yeah. So I've lived in Columbus for almost four years now. Uh, so my first task was uh, getting started here at Ohio State in building our collegiate recovery community. And so that is a support program designed specifically for students either currently in recovery or looking to enter recovery. Um, students that haven't quite, you know, been able to maintain um abstinence or they're kind of back and forth on whether they're ready to make this change. Um, and so we've kind of built that whole program that's got everything from full-time staff to a, you know, 2,000 square foot recovery lounge to housing, scholarships, leadership, professional development, this whole package. So that's kind of where we started. Um, and so now I'm working backwards. I've got a group and we're working on the high school. So we're creating Central Ohio's first recovery high school. Um, and then working on the alternative peer groups. So these are these after-school programs for young people in recovery and their families um, to have support, to have fun, um, and really normalize this experience for them. Okay. Let's dig in a little bit deeper. Um, you're getting ahead of me a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've covered just so much ground there. So with your experience, though, you're so young. You were tapped by Ohio State to do this, or did you approach them? To, with kind of this found concept. each other. You found each other. Yeah. Um, initially, I was going to grad school in Boston, mm -hmm. and they, you know, didn't have a recovery program. And at first, I thought, you know, I've got like five years in recovery at the time. Like, I don't need a recovery program like that anymore. Like, I can just do twelve step meetings. Um, I was really wrong. Um, even at five years of recovery, I still need support on campus. I still craved this community. I still wanted support and kind of like this normal college experience for me. And I felt like I didn't fit in. And um, so by being a part of the national recovery movement, I got to meet my now boss at a couple of different conferences. And she was, you know, interested in starting a program. I was interested in getting out of Boston. So 
was just a really good fit um, for me to be able to come here, finish grad school and build this program. Okay, perfect. So your collegiate recovery community, you went through very quickly a lot of the the unique things about the program. But let's let's go through and, and talk about a few of them. Uh, first of all, you have a recovery house at Penn Place. Mm-hmm. So can you describe the recovery house a little bit? Yeah, the recovery house is a 28-bed residence hall. So, I mean, it is a official university residence hall. Um, it's currently set up as singles. So everyone has their own room and their own bathroom. I don't think you can wow. find a... Residence hall, nicer than that. Yeah. Um, So our students are living large and they don't pay any extra money than any other students. Oh, so this is just like... Just like every uh, other uh, residence hall. Every other... Wow. Um, It is not sober living. It is not um, some sort of like structured program where we're monitoring you, we're drug testing you. I mean, it's, it's a normal college dorm. So, okay, but it's a recovery house. And what about... What if people start using? And that, you know, does happen. Uh, and so we, the ideal situation is we catch it very quickly and we're able to intervene, assess whether this person needs to, whether they want to stop. And most of the time they do. It's, hey, I need help. They so come forward. Okay. Um, and, you know, we'll work with you. You're not going to get kicked out for um, relapsing and, and recommitting to your recovery. Um, if you no longer want to be in recovery and you have no desire to stop using, then you'll need to leave. Yeah. Um, so that's like the real world. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, and it also offers peer to peer support. Yes. Just in a natural way. You're living together. Right. So you'll be living with other students in recovery. It's not totally full with all students in recovery. So we do have other grad students that live there. Mm. Um, but they're, they've been a great partner. Um, on the house. So, I mean, it even is, it's more like the real world in that it's not all people in recovery are living in this building with. Yeah. Uh, but we, that's the goal. We do want that. Okay. Um, and we do have a, a house manager. We do have uh, recovery house meetings there and we try and get, right now it's a group of guys. We try and get them active together. Um, but it really is supposed to feel more like a residence hall experience. So. Okay. And you've got Monthly wellness workshops, what are those all about? Yeah, so we'll do, our students are required to come to a weekly meeting and then a weekly small group. And so we'll do, we'll do different things um, with our students to kind of enhance their wellness. And so we'll bring in partners on campus. We've done everything from nutrition and recovery and eating disorders, body image. Um, we've done some mindfulness-based work. We've done wellness coaching. So just kind of expose them to new tools and new areas of their life and their recovery that maybe they haven't looked at yet. What's mindfulness? What, what do you teach there? In your- yeah. So that's, I mean, other people are far more experts in that than I am. I'm still working on that for my own recovery, but this, I, the idea of being present in the moment, uh, you know, deep breathing, meditation, it's oh. kind of the idea with mindfulness. Okay, cool. So um, how many people are in the program right now? Your recovery. Right now, I think, because we just had some graduate, we just had some new people apply. I think we're at like 17 members. Okay. That are actually at the recovery house. No. So we have 17 members of the program. Four of them currently live in the house. Okay. And then how about recovery, the whole recovery community? Um, 
on campus. So we've got like this core of students that all fill out an application. And that's really the bulk of who we serve because they're up here all the time. They come to our required events. So they apply. They do. To get in. Yep. Oh. We've never turned anyone away. Um, But so the idea with the collegiate recovery program is that you're kind of already stable in your recovery. And you then self-select into this program where you're able to get scholarships, housing. um, You get 24-7 access to our lounge, priority registration, right? So kind of this like really cool program. Um, Now, when we do have current OSU students, if they don't have six months, we go ahead and admit them. But the idea with the recovery requirement is so that someone that's got a week sober doesn't say, I'm going back to school. Yeah. We want folks to build a foundation, be solid in your recovery before you then also take on school. And your metric for that is six months sobriety. Is that correct? Yeah. And we'll, you know, we're flexible there, right. but that's, right. but yeah, that's the some guideline. schools are a year, some schools are 30 days. So they kind of range. So we picked yeah. right in the middle. Yeah. Okay. So social events, let's talk about those mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they do, we've done everything from, Trap like being trapped in a room with a zombie and we got to work together to escape to a boxing workout, which is probably the most fun for me that we've done. Um, they went and ate at Texas Day Brazil this year. Tomorrow we're just coming up here and just we're just going to chill, watch movies, we're going to eat, hang out, kick it. Um, so we try and have some sort of like monthly organized event where we all come together and just hang out. Sometimes it's free. Sometimes it costs a little bit of money. Sometimes it's here. Sometimes it's off campus. Just because they need to have fun. They need to build community. And we try and vary up what we do because it's a diverse group of students. So it can't be all sports. It can't be all fitness, you know. So we do a lot of different things. So your student leadership board, do they Mm -hmm. select a lot of these events? We're getting there. Uh, That was always a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, because myself and my colleague are the first to admit that we are lame and we do not know what is cool to do these days. Um, so we really want the students to let us know, hey, here's what we want to do. Um, so we actually had students apply to be on the leadership board for the spring. And so they're going to have a little budget to work with. And so the idea is that they'll then start planning their own events. Okay. That sounds great. So what are the service opportunities that are offered? I, I, I noted that, that that was one of the attributes of the, of the program. What does that mean? Yeah, so service is such a big component of recovery, right? Giving back what was freely given to us, helping others, whether it's other people in recovery or just our community as a whole. So we, on a regular basis, go speak at local treatment centers about our recovery story and about the recovery program because... Every time we kind of survey the the room, we ask them how many of you have started college but haven't finished. And it's like three-fourths of the room puts their hand up. So a ton of people in recovery have started school but haven't finished. And we want them to finish. Hmm. Um, So that's one way that we go in our service and we get to talk about our program. Um, We also, over the weekend, actually went and passed out toys to – Folks experiencing homelessness, pass out food, blankets, clothing. Um, so we try and just do different things, um, both on campus and off campus. That's terrific. So um, you also develop individualized recovery plans. Yeah. So my colleague does all of that. Um, but the goal is that, you know, every student's different uh, in terms of what they need to be successful. 
and what they do for their recovery. And so we want to work with them and put it on paper. What is it that you do when you're thriving, when you're doing really well, what does that look like? What are the things you need to do to maintain your recovery and your mental health? And so then we're able to help hold them accountable to that and um, create something that's customized so that they're not solely depending on us for their recovery. They also have stuff outside of here that they're doing because eventually they're all going to graduate. Yep. So you need to have things in the local community that you utilize and are benefiting from so that your recovery can continue, that support can continue. Mm. So there's so much um, building of this support network here. And what happens when you go for break or you go away for the summer? Right. And you don't, you're not surrounded by this network that you've built mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. So a lot of our students stay here locally um, because they have built this network mm -hmm. here. Um, this is where they have their sponsor, their sponsees, their home group, right? This is their, their community. Um, of our students that do go home somewhere, um, it's either for a short period of time or they've already got some sort of really well-established network there. Okay. Um, so they seem to do well. And we actually keep doing stuff over the winter break and summer break. Staff, staff is still here. <laughs> and when we have students here, we'll still meet, do things. That's great. So you've also got a little bit of professional development mm -hmm. that's incorporated into the program. Right. So our students on average are about 25, 26 years old. Oh, so they're, they're older. Yeah, they yeah. are older. And so for them, you know, they are kind of battling this idea of like, I'm 25, 26, some of them 30 and 40, and I'm about to graduate with my undergraduate degree. Mm. Like, how is that going to look? I'm competing with these like pristine 21-year-olds that, you know, have 4.0s, haven't ever been arrested, and I'm over here and I'm 29. Well, um, discouraging. Yeah. And so we work with them on here's how we explain our resume, you know, or gaps in our educational journey. Here's how we talk about our recovery. If it comes up in a job interview or explain our criminal record, we do resume prep, mock interviews with our students and just really help them kind of figure out how do I own my story and my journey and use it in an interview to help give me a competitive advantage rather than having it be something that's a deficit. Okay. So um, you probably do a little bit, I would think, to kind of prepare them also for they're going to be living off campus, maybe in a different region. Mm -hmm. And those skills they're, that they're going to have to acquire have, you know, that, that has to be pretty important to right. rebuild that support network right. while they're starting the career yeah. or restarting maybe in some cases. Mm -hmm. So how's that work? Yeah. So fortunately, the recovery community is everywhere. So most of our students are in a 12-step program, so they know no matter what part of the world I'm going to, I'm most likely going to have some meetings there and some people there. So they're already going to be able to tap into that network. Um, and then we have a pretty large network of supporters um, and friends of our program that when we have students move to different parts of the country, and we even have some students that are international now, we're able to connect them. Hey, like you're in L.A. here. I've got some friends in L.A. or we have an alumni in L.A. You guys should get together. Wow, yeah. that's great. You Utilizing them. that Buckeye yeah. Nation yeah. Uh, with recovery and connecting people that way. Yeah, Buckeye Nation. Pretty strong. It is. Yeah. It is. Buckeye fan myself. <laughs> so, okay. Um, that gives us a pretty good feel for the uh, collegiate recovery community and what you've built here. Yeah. Now let's transition to the high schools 
and what you plan to do with Recovery High School here. Yeah. I understand you're you're working on some big plans yes. and you hope to be able to unveil them very soon and open the doors perhaps as early as the fall of 2018. That's right. That's right. So we've been working pretty diligently, myself and a group of about eight other individuals um, kind of acting as the board of directors for our Recovery High School initiative. Um, so we're working on opening up a charter school here in central Ohio for students in recovery from alcohol and other drug addiction. Excellent. There's nothing else like that in central Ohio. There's actually nothing else like that in Ohio. Um, we want it to be open to all the surrounding school districts. So if you can get yourself to this school, we'll accept you. Um, so How about out of out of the areas, yeah, people. Yeah, you want to drive okay. from Marysville, mm-hmm. you know, wherever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lancaster, come. If you can get here, come. Yeah. To the school. Um, so we're really excited to fill a void um, in our continuum of care and in our educational system for high schoolers that are coming back from treatment and then are put right back in their old environment. And then we wonder why they relapse. Yeah. And I think we need to look really hard at ourselves and at our communities. And, you know, are we setting people up for failure every time we bring them home? Hmm. Yeah. And that, that goes for any type of recovery program. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Um, how much capacity are you building for right now with the, the new Recovery High School. Yeah. I mean, we looking at other schools nationally, there's about 36 of them across the country. Um, we actually just last week were with um, Hope Academy in Indianapolis, Indiana. That's the closest recovery high school to us. Um, and they can serve 60 students and we'll probably look to serve something similar to that. Okay. And how would one uh, get involved in this? So how do you see that whole process that application process going and what do you see as the qualifications for someone to participate? Yeah. So that that's a great question. I know some recovery high schools require students to have completed treatment prior to enrolling or having 30 days prior to enrolling. But based on our treatment system here, I don't think we can do that. I don't think we're going to have enough adolescents that are going to be able to get 30 days and be able to come to the school or are going to be able to even access treatment. What residential treatment do we really have for them? So we're thinking that come how you are and we'll be able to admit you to the school. Uh, And there will be two phases. So for those, because we know that a lot of these students aren't going to be coming with, you know, three months of really high quality treatment and Mm -hmm. are going to be super bought in. So they'll have kind of, you know, this, I don't know, phase one, I guess, if you will. Um, My parents told me to go here, so here I am kind yeah, of thing. And yeah. I haven't bought in. Right. And so it's going to be more treatment focused, more clinically focused. They will be doing some school, but it's a way to kind of integrate them, assess where they're at, but keep them separate from the larger community because so much about this is about the culture. And so if you start infusing all these kids that like aren't bought into recovery and they don't want to be there, it can have really negative impact. So We'll kind of start them off in a smaller room that's more focused on, you know, getting sober and kind of that initial stuff and then transition them in after like two weeks. Um, So that's how I think we'll handle that. And that seems to work really well at other schools. Right. So, I mean, how early do you start? I mean, if somebody showed up and they needed detox? They would need to go to detox. They'd have to go to separate. Okay. So they would would at least have to be through that. So somewhere in the... You know, at least 10 days clean, if you will. Yeah. 
So the application process to get in. So how's that work? I mean, we don't know yet. We're oh. working on all that, uh, all those details and looking at what other schools are doing. But you'd bring, you know, the family in, you'd bring the student in. You know, we talk about your alcohol and drug use history. We talk about your other co-occurring diagnoses. We talk about any criminal records you may have, um, you know, and do an assessment both of your addiction and mental health as well as kind of where are you educationally? How many credits do we need to make up and things like that? So, um We got to, you know, we're doing both the recovery and the school at the same time. So it's different than a normal high school when you're kind of transferring in. Sure. Um, You know, we'd need to get, you know, releases of information signed with their treatment team or their, you know, whoever's relevant to their recovery and kind of get a full picture of where they're at. Um, The idea is let's get them in as soon as possible because it's going to increase our likelihood of success if we get them in the school. Okay. So, but this will be uh, the full curriculum will be taught there just like. Uh, and the, the other, other high school. The other high schools in the You state. will get a diploma from the school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. So from, you know, being on the board of the Association of Recovery Schools and doing research and spending, you know, uh, a lot of time visiting these schools, uh, I think a key component to their success is making sure that students are being referred in to these recovery high schools. Because it's... Who refers them? Treatment centers, local schools, um, the criminal justice system, parents. I mean, we're going to need the entire community bought in and supporting the recovery high schools that are going to open up in Ohio. Because we're already, I mean, we're already talking about high schoolers and then high schoolers that are in recovery. I mean, it's just a small, it's a small number to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so then if they're not being connected to the school, it's going to struggle. Yeah. Um, they're going to, it's going to be, it's more costly to educate them in a recovery high school because you have the specialized services. Um, so that's why we need as many students as possible to make it more efficient. Um, so my, you know, that's the biggest thing I've learned is you cannot stop promoting the high school and doing outreach and building relationships because the success of it is so dependent upon students coming because there's a lot of attrition. Right, a student comes in, they're sober for like four months, and then they're back out. And you can't be at the school if you're getting high. Sure. So students are kind of coming in and out throughout the course of their high school career. So we have to have a strong core group of students um, in order for these things to really have the impact that we want them to have. Going back to some of those other programs that mm-hmm. are out there, can you name maybe a couple of them that you really found to be very, very just they're on point with their program? And what I'm thinking about is other families that want to learn maybe more about this and, and want to uh, learn from some, you know, and look up some that are that are in play that are that have been successful. Absolutely. So, I mean, just kind of in the Midwest, Hope Academy in Indianapolis, really successful, beautiful recovery high school. Um, so I think it's important that we look at examples that are kind of in our region and a yeah. similar Yep. Um, community to ours. Um, I mean, and there's great examples, everything from, you know, Ostaga High School in Boston, literally in downtown Boston to Archway Academy in downtown Houston, Texas, um, you know, Pease Academy in Minnesota. I mean, there's, they're all over. Um, the best place to go to learn more about recovery high schools would be the Association of Recovery Schools. And so there you can find a list of all the programs across the country, uh, can check out their websites and learn more about what they're doing. What else do you want to share with us about uh, 
recovery high schools mm-hmm. and collegiate campuses, collegiate recovery. Yeah, so something exciting that's happening is the kind of young people's version of Anonymous People. I don't know if you've heard of that documentary, The Anonymous People. Mm-hmm. Um, the same guy that made that one created Generation Found. And it's all about young people. It's really all about Houston and that continuum of care. Because um, after the anonymous people came out, everyone was like, well, what about young people? Like, we need one of these movies for young people. So we got Generation Found, and it's amazing um, getting to see this live and kind of what this feels like, what it looks like, um, the impact that it's, it's having on the community. So I would encourage folks to watch that. That's a great place to start to kind of get excited. It covers alternative peer groups, high schools, and the college programs. Where would they go to watch that? So right now, I, I think it's available for like theatrical release or like if you want to purchase it. Um, but I'm sure soon you'll be able to buy it online. I think it's like generationfound.org. Um, you can look up the website. The trailer's great. Um, but so that's a really good place to start. And I think do screenings of it in your community, just like we did with Anonymous People. Get folks together, talk about it. You know, where are we sending our young people for treatment? What happens when they come back? If I'm a school, do I even keep track of my kids that are going away to treatment? Like, how am I helping them when they come back home and are trying to reintegrate? And I think we need to just look really critically at our continuum of care and what gaps can we start to fill. Um, and so that's a great resource. The Association of Recovery Schools is awesome. Um, they have toolkits available, the research. I mean, all these things have research behind them. We know that they work. These young people stay sober, they graduate, and when we do that, we're able to be contributing members of society. So there's like tremendous ripple effects from helping a young person enter and sustain recovery that goes beyond just putting down drugs and alcohol. Hmm. Final comments for us today. Yeah, so I guess if folks are interested in kind of getting involved with Ohio's youth recovery uh, movement and the work that's starting to take place to build some of these programs. Um, feel free to contact me. I'd love to get you in touch with the folks that I know at these, you know, there's other collegiate recovery programs in the state. Um, so if you are an alumni, get involved um, with your school's collegiate recovery program and help support them. Um, if you, you know, are interested in a, in a recovery high school, get involved with whatever's going on in your local community because we're going to need everybody. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This group was great. We've been joined today by Sarah Nirad, the program manager for Ohio State University Collegiate Recovery Community in Columbus, Ohio. And she is also spearheading the effort for the first recovery high school here in central Ohio. And fingers crossed, we'll look for that to open its doors in the fall of 2018. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover Two Resources. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening.
Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.